0: The Gist is brought to you by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up at Stamps.com and get a four-week trial and a $110 bonus offer when you use the promo code The Gist. The
1: The following podcast contains explicit language. Wednesday, November 18th, 2015. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Bobby Jindal is no more. Well, he exists, but his presidential aspirations do not. As he told Fox News' Brett Baer. So I've come here to announce that I am suspending my campaign for president of the United States. Oh wait, not out. Suspending. So it can be reactivated, as with adding water to powdered milk or a magwai. Or, if it's a suspension, maybe there'll be an appeal. Like Brady with Deflategate. But no. There is no appeal, not nationally, where Bobby Jindal was polling at 0.8%. Not much appeal in Louisiana either, where the governor is experiencing a favorability rating of just 34%, 62% disapprove. But why do they disapprove? Here's Bobby Jindal's theory. We spent a lot of time developing detailed policy papers. And given this crazy, unpredictable election season, clearly there just wasn't a lot of interest in those policy papers. We're just not ready for the brilliant policy papers, the nuanced the in-depth policy paper. Just not ready for him. We're not ready for that kind of reasoning that Bobby Jindal offered. He referred to one instance in his withdrawal, sorry, suspension interview, one instance of the kind of reasoning we weren't ready for. I went to Europe and I gave a speech. I came back here and said, Europe has a problem. They're not assimilating many of these Muslims. We must not let that happen here. Now the left hated that. Now, in case you forgot, because you shouldn't have, even though Jindal's not going to be president, because when we talked about it, guess what? He wasn't going to be president then anyway. But Bobby Jindal went to England, and he observed that what's going on over there in England, it's just awful. There are entire neighborhoods where the police don't go. They call them no-go zones. They stay out of them entirely. They just let Sharia law run wild. And he told this to members of the British Parliament who said, Wait, that's my country you're talking about? The Prime Minister of the UK, David Cameron a conservative party member, said of such comments that he nearly choked on his porridge when he heard them. So when Bobby Jindal said the left hated it, here's what he meant. Take a map, turn it upside down, start in America and go left. You'll hit England and that's where you'll find many objections to his remarks. Bobby Jindal, we will miss your insight. We will miss your position papers. We will miss the uncomfortable truths you committed to. We're left with only 19 other Republican position paper pushers to choose from. Actually, Carly Fiorina refuses to issue position papers. And George Pataki, I have no idea what his position on position papers are. No one else does either. On the show today, I spiel about the entirely stupid thing that a member of the administration said about the Paris attacks, and the entirely defensible thing that a more prominent member of the administration said. But first, we are the 10%, or... Is that how much percent of the brain we are using? Maria Katakova is here to play. Is that bullshit? With the holidays almost here, you don't have time to go to the post office. There's parking. There's traffic. There's that one guy who always harasses you outside the post office. His name is Clive. All right, that might be personal to me. But anyway, you know the post office is going to be packed with everyone mailing their holiday gifts. Avoiding Clive. So what do I do? I use stamps.com instead. With stamps.com, you can avoid all the hassle of going to the post office, the Clive S. Castle during the holiday season. It's terrible. Everything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk. You can buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. You can print postage for any letter or package the instant you need it. And then the mailman picks it up and you can have that conversation. Does that guy Clive bother you? Yeah, I know. That's why I like walking the route instead of being at the post office. But Stamps.com is so easy. It's so convenient. And right now, we have a special offer for you, listeners of the gist. Sorry I yelled there. Clive gets to me. Here's a special offer. It's a four-week trial. It's $110 bonus offer. It includes postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's Stamps.com. Enter the gist. Offer is available in Alaska and Hawaii I'm for guys named Clive. So growing up, I think the two biggest scientific facts that were cited to me in life were one, you know, if you fan yourself, you just make yourself hotter. And two, you know, we only use 10% of our brains. I'm beginning to think that fanning thing is untrue. But what percent of our brains do we use? Can we ever really know? Because if we really only use 10% of our brains, maybe the answer to the question lies in the other 90%. Well, here, an author, a thinker, the author of The Confidence Game and mastermind how to think like Sherlock Holmes, who may have used, I don't know, 11% of his brain, is Maria Konnikova. Hello, Maria. Hello, Mike. Where did it come from, this old wives' tale, or at least common thought that we only use 10% of our brains? That is an excellent
0: question. And as far as we know, this came from a misquotation of William James. Wow. Good answer. Yeah. So William James, in his book, Energies of Man, which I happen to have in front of me, has a paragraph that reads, everyone is familiar with the phenomenon of feeling more or less alive on different days. Everyone knows on any given day that there are energies slumbering in him, which the incitements of that day do not call forth, but which he might display if these were greater. Compared with what we ought to be, we are only half awake. Our fires are dampened. Our drafts are checked. We are making use of only a small part of our possible mental and physical resources.
1: Wow, so that's an interesting quote because if you read it, yes, it is a misquotation to say we only use 10% of our brain, but it's not even talking about mental capacity. It's about energy. It's
0: talking about mental energies. Yeah, exactly. But so what happened was in the very famous Dale Carnegie How to Win Friends and Influence People. There was a foreword, and in that foreword, William James was quoted as saying that we only use about 10% of our mental capacities, which was a complete misquotation of this paragraph. And a lot of people think that that's where the myth originated because that book was obviously a huge bestseller. And it's been so sticky. There's some recent survey data actually that shows that in 2012, school teachers were surveyed in two different countries. in Britain believed that we only use 10% of our brains and 46% in the Netherlands. And in 2013, there was a U.S. study that showed that 65 percent of the U.S. population believes that we only use 10 percent of our brain.
1: So that's 65 percent not using all of their noodles. But okay, what does it even mean, the percent of a brain we use? Is that even if, if, if James didn't come up with this idea, would we even think of parts of our brain being underused? And how would one even test that?
0: Well, we might think about it early on in the days of brain science. So for instance, when Wilder Penfield, who was one of the first neurosurgeons to perform open brain surgery, when he worked with his subjects, he noticed that if he touched certain parts of the brain, certain things would happen. Sometimes they'd smell things. Sometimes their arm would move. Sometimes sudden memories would come back. And he started doing this whenever he was doing open brain (laughs) surgery. He'd like start poking people's brains and seeing what happened.
1: But he also would charge Uh, 75 cents. admission. Every
0: poke. Yep. (laughs) And he found that there was a big part of the brain where he could poke it anywhere and nothing happened. And he called it the silent cortex. We now know that the silent cortex isn't silent, that it actually does tons of stuff, it just doesn't do something as easily observable as hi, my leg just
1: kicked up. I guess and maybe, let's see, we think of a person who speaks so many languages, we only speak one, maybe we say he's using more of his brain, right. maybe we translate that to a percentage of the brain. Is there any science, is there any actual coming close to a real number, if not a real concept, of yes. the percent of our brain we use.
0: Yes, there is, actually. And the real science says that we use 100% of our brain. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's a very clear so there's number no on there's, there's no, no silent cortex. There's no There's no appendix cortex. of the brain, there's the part no, that
1: when we were no, cavemen we used to use. There's no so,
0: appendix of the brain. Now, there are parts of the brain that we're not quite sure what they do. Yeah. It's probably accurate to say that we know 10% or even less about what the brain does, which doesn't mean that we're only using 10% of our brain. Right. When you're looking at fMRI studies of even very simple tasks, you see brain activity and blood flow everywhere. Even when we're sleeping, you can see that the brain is working. At any given time, we might not be using all of our brain. Mm-hmm. So for instance, when doing the gist, I probably use about you know 5%, give or take.
1: Yeah. We use 100% of our brain. It's not the case that you could remove some brain tissue and have a person be entirely unaffected.
0: No. And what usually happens, so we actually have some good data on this because people work all the time with stroke victims. And that's exactly what happens. You don't physically remove part of the brain. Part of the brain stops working. And what happens with brain damage is you see that right away the brain starts rewiring and trying to figure out how do we make up for the function that was lost. The brain doesn't just stay the same. So like people who go blind, all of a sudden their motor cortex, for instance, will become very active. And when they learn Braille, all of a sudden their language uh, cortex will start acting when when they're reading Braille. So there are lots of things like this where you see that functionality gets picked up right away, which means, hey, that part of the brain we removed, bad idea.
1: You talked about a couple of the cortexes. In which of the many cortices is the area where we understand that the plural of cortex is cortices?
0: Probably um, we're we're talking about the prefrontal cortex, the occipital cortex where I'm hearing kind of what you're saying. and auditory processing centers, Wernicke's and Broca's areas. Those are the language processing areas. I think that well, those, would, very those would Those would be all, all of these the. Areas. <laughs> I think those those would be those would be the places that would be involved. <laughs> off are, the top of my head,
1: <laughs> off, the, off the off the middle of your <laughs> cortex. All right, so I think we know the answer because you've been using all hundred percent of your brain as you've been listening. But humans use only ten percent of their brain. Is that bullshit?
0: That is the biggest bullshit that we've had on this show for a while.
1: All right. I like it. Blown out of oh, the water. Maria Konnikova, author of The Confidence Game and mastermind, How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes. She does her PhD in psychology, so she knows her courtesies. Thank you, Maria.
0: Thank you so much, Mike.
1: And now the spiel, don't call it a setback. Secretary of State John Kerry said something pretty stupid yesterday. Let's listen.
0: There's something different about what happened from Charlie Hebdo. And I think everybody would feel that. Uh, There was a sort of particularized focus and perhaps even a legitimacy uh, in terms of, uh, uh, not a legitimacy, but but a rationale that you could attach yourself to somehow and say, Okay, they're really angry because of this or that. This Friday was absolutely indiscriminate. It wasn't
1: to grieve one particular sense of wrong. It was to terrorize people. I guess what he was trying to do was to emphasize that the targets of the last attack, illegitimately though they were had done something to offend the terrorists, which does nothing to excuse the attacks, you know what? Yeah, it was stupid. You don't need to go there. You don't need to qualify why this attack is different from the last attack. They're all terrible attacks. There was no legitimacy, no rationale to the Charlie Hebdo attack. It's not just me saying that. It's New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. They played the Kerry remarks for him, and he immediately said, He he needs to get some sleep and shut up, is what he needs. That's disgraceful. That on Fox News, harsh, but Kerry invited it himself. Who didn't invite it on himself was President Obama, who, in a reasoned but not rah-rah speech on Monday, uttered these words. We have always understood that this would be a long-term campaign. There will be setbacks and there will be successes. The terrible events in Paris were obviously a terrible and sickening setback. Now, if you're a fair-minded person trying to interpret the president's remarks or trying to explain it to others, you might say that he was contextualizing. If you are a critic, a fair critic, you might say that he was rationalizing, trying to make what really has been, in your opinion as a critic, a dearth of effort seem like an abundance of effort. But if you're not fair-minded, if you're instead a propagandist trying to attack the president with his words, nah, word, you would say something like this. The French have said this was an act of war and he calls it a setback. Okay, that's Charles Krauthammer and... I'm not going to call him a propagandist. He is paid to give his opinion and to offer his framing by Fox News. But that idea that the president called it a setback, one word in quotes, no other words around it, that was the Fox News talking point of the day. That was the headline after the president's speech, Obama calls Paris a setback. Different Fox hosts repeated this ad nauseum. If you know anything about how Fox works, this is their playbook. Get a talking point, repeat it over and over again until your slant becomes straight news.